Paul is interested in creating community. We talked about this last week. The reason he wants that to happen is because he recognizes that if we're going to truly have the fullness of God in our lives, we need to grasp how deep the Father's love is for us. And that only happens when we experience His love in and through community. So having said that, Paul is now going to give us a series of commands to facilitate our experience of community, and it just so happens that these commands can be sort of nicely organized around the number 10. And so we are looking at the 10 commandments of community, and most of these commandments, the first is not an exception, are stated both negatively and positively. So let's begin by looking at the very first commandment that Paul gives us for community. It's Ephesians 4, verse number 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbor, for we are all members of one body. Each of you must speak truthfully and put off falsehood, for we are all members of one body. This is the first commandment that God gives to us for our community relationships. And there's no, uh, it's no accident that this one is first, because it is the most foundational and most important command if we're going to be successful in the relationships we have in our lives, and especially those in which we are engaged in smaller community here at the church. I want to take a few minutes and explain to you why it's so foundational, and why it's so important, and why Paul starts his list with this commandment about putting off falsehood and speaking truthfully. Remember back, if you will, to the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, who are there enjoying fellowship with each other and with God. It's a beautiful picture of community, the way that God wanted things to be. God communing with Adam and with Eve and they with each other. Well, in the midst of that community, Satan appears. And the very first words out of his mouth is he says to Eve, did God really say that you weren't to eat of any of the trees in the garden? It's a misrepresentation. It's a lie. He's a deceiver. Eve responds, no, we can eat from the trees in the garden, but there is one tree that we're not allowed to eat from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and if we eat of that tree, then we'll die. To which Satan replies, you're not going to die. That's not going to happen. Go ahead, eat. It will be fine. And with those lies that he's telling, Sin enters the world, the first sin of humankind. And our forefathers, Adam and foremother Eve, chose to eat of that fruit. And with that sin, community was destroyed. Adam and Eve were at enmity with each other, and their relationship with God was broken. The very first thing that happens that destroys community is deception and lies. That's how foundational speaking truth 
is. Let me show you that by moving you to the other end of history and to the other end of the Bible all the way from Genesis 3, now all the way to the book of Revelation, looking at the end of history. And here at the end of history, God, even though sin had entered the world, He did not abandon us to our sins. And instead, through Jesus Christ, provided salvation for us. And at the end of time, we see Him coming down from heaven in the new Jerusalem, the new city. It's like a new Garden of Eden. And there is no temple because God Himself is dwelling in the midst of His people, just like He did in the beginning of Genesis. And in the book of Revelation, in chapter 21, as John is picturing for us what is happening, God says these words, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this. I will be his God and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and notice what's last in the list. Not only is it last in the list, it's the only one that actually has an adjective modifying it. And all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. God repeats this same thing in Revelation 22, the very last chapter of the Bible. He said, blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. Again, notice which one is last and which one is emphasized. That of lying. You see, lying are the bookends, if you will, of the Bible. It's the first opening of deceit in Genesis 3. It is the means by which sin comes into this world. And God throughout history is working to remove that sin through Christ. And when we get to the picture in Revelation, the last thing he does as he gets rid of all the sin is that lying goes to. It's the first and the last. It is foundational. Not only can you see how foundational this is from the beginning and the end of the Bible, you can see how foundational speaking truthfully is right smack dab in the middle of the Bible. In Zechariah chapter 8, God is talking about restoring Israel despite their sins and despite what they've done. He makes a promise to Jerusalem and to Judah that he will come and fix what they've done and that he will build a temple and dwell in their midst. And this is what the Lord says in Zechariah 8. I will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth. And the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you, 
and showed no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty. So now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and to Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other. Now in Zechariah, God will go on to list other things that they're supposed to do. I didn't include those in this passage. But what's important is the very first thing he says that they are to do is to speak the truth to each other. The reason why this passage is so important is because this is the passage Paul is quoting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. He's actually quoting it verbatim. Each of you must put off falsehood and speak the truth to his neighbor. See, Paul recognizes that what was true in Zechariah 8, what was true in Genesis 3 and in Revelation 21 and 22, he recognizes as happening here. You see, there is sin in the world, but God has not abandoned us to our sins, but instead through Christ. He has made us alive with Christ. And through the forgiveness that we have in Christ, God is creating new community, the community of the church. And what he wants for us are these restored communal relationships. And so the very first thing that he says that we must do is put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. That's why I'm telling you this is the most foundational commandment. Paul leads off with this because everything else is built on this. There is no relationship without honesty. It is the foundation of all community experiences. So let's think together then, what does it mean to put off falsehood and to speak truthfully? Well, let's start with the negative. He says, put off falsehood. Now, when you study this, I think there are at least four ideas that Paul seems to have in mind when he says, put off falsehood. The first is, of course, lying. That when we think about speaking with one another, we're supposed to not lie to each other. You can imagine a situation in a small group where you ask another person, to share about how they've been doing in the areas of purity and in their thought life, if they lie to you, well, that destroys community. That destroys relationships. And if you find out later that they had been lying that whole time every time you asked them, well, of course, relationships are destroyed. And so when Paul says put off falsehood, he means don't lie to each other. Tell the truth to one another. But it means more than just that. It also has something to do with the idea of not gossiping and slandering. See, in Zechariah 8, the passage that Paul is quoting in Ephesians chapter 4, God commands that we testify truthfully about each other, that when we talk about one another, that we do so honestly. And so to put off falsehood means don't gossip and don't slander each other. I recently heard a story. I was in an audience and someone was teaching and she was explaining 
what had happened to her and her story. We'll just call her Laura for the sake of the story that she told. She was, Laura was part of a small group of friends who socialized together. And Laura was the person who, whenever anybody from that group happened to not be at their social gathering, she was the one who always found a way to start talking about the person who wasn't there. And she would gossip about that person, say things about them that may not necessarily be true. Well, one week, Laura didn't go to the social gathering. And as all of these other women were there, they began to talk about her. And suddenly they realized that she was gossiping about them when they weren't there. You see, each lady thought she was the exception. That yes, Laura talked about others when they weren't there, but when I'm not there, she won't talk about me. By the way, there are no exceptions. If you have a friend who gossips, they are gossiping about you when you're not around. Such was the case for Laura. And so when all of these women discovered what she had been saying about them, they were furious with her. They kicked her out of community. They refused to be friends with her anymore. See, that's what lying does. That's what gossip and slander does. It destroys community. Paul says you can't have community relationships. You can't have genuine relationships if you're talking about people negatively when they're not there. If you're talking behind their back, it destroys community. And so when he says put off falsehood, he means don't gossip, don't slander. There's a third thing that Paul means when he says put off falsehood. I think he means avoid manipulation. Avoid manipulation. This comes from Ephesians 4 earlier in the chapter in 2 Corinthians 4 where some of this same language is used by Paul. And there he talks about deceitful schemes and cunning craftiness. And the idea is is that if we manipulate one another, that's a form of speaking falsely. You can imagine yourself in a smaller community setting. Maybe your small group is going to choose what book to read next. And so you've gathered together and it's thrown open for discussion. What should we read? And so you think, well, I just read a really great book on marriage. Maybe we should read that. And so you suggest that to the group. And another person in the group says, um, yeah, I, I, I heard that book wasn't very good. Of course, you get the impression that they've never heard of that book before. But you don't say anything. A second person then says, what if we read a book on end times? To which the first person replies, wow, that's a great idea. I have a perfect book on end times. And you get the feeling that the two of them have already had a discussion about what the small group should be reading and that this is not happening real time, that they've done this offline. And here they are recommending this book but trying to manipulate the group into selecting it. Instead of just saying, the two of us had a conversation and we thought this would be a great book for our group to read. You see, that's a form of manipulation. It's cunning craftiness and scheming. And when Paul says put off falsehood, that's what he says, don't do that to each other. Don't manipulate. Be open and honest in your dealings because manipulation destroys community. And then there's a fourth thing that I think putting off falsehood entails. 
What Paul's referring to here is not only lying and gossiping and manipulation, he's talking about misrepresenting God. That's what he means when he says put off falsehood. This is what Satan does in the Garden of Eden. He's misrepresenting God. He's representing God as somehow being cruel and unloving and unkind. Imagine again if you're in your smaller community and a person stands up and informs the group that they're leaving their spouse because they've found their soulmate. And the reason they're leaving is is that they're convinced God has told them to do this because God would not have given them such a strong connection with this other person that their previous or their marriage has been a sham and they really should have waited, but they didn't, but now here they are, and so God must want them to leave their marriage because why else would he have given them such a strong connection to this other person? Well, that's misrepresenting God. That's not who God is. That's not how God acts. That's not what he thinks. But to claim it is destroys community and relationships. And so Paul says the We must put off falsehood. We must avoid lying and gossiping and slandering, manipulation and misrepresenting God. But he not only tells us what we're not supposed to do, he also commands us what we are to do. And this is the positive affirmation. Not only do we put off falsehood, but we must speak truthfully to our neighbor. See, that's because while falsehood destroys community, speaking truth creates community. It creates relationships. In the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and it had destroyed their relationship with each other and their relationship with God, it's God who comes into the situation and speaks the truth about their sin and about His grace. And that restores relationships. In Zechariah 8, Israel and Judah have gone their own direction, but God speaks the truth that he's going to restore them, speaks of his kindness, and it creates relationships. Jesus is the word of truth, and through him, God creates relationships. In Revelation 21 and 22, it is God who is speaking, saying, anybody who wants to be my child can be my child, and that invitation, spoken truthfully creates relationships. And so Paul says, if you're going to have effective relationships, if you're going to experience God's love in community, you not only put off falsehood, you also must speak truthfully to one another. What does this entail? I think there are four things here as well. The first is that it means to be reliable. To speak Truthfully means to be reliable. That's in part because the Old Testament word for truth from Zechariah 8 that Paul is quoting, it also can be translated faithfulness. That if we are the person who does what we say we're going to do, that's a form of speaking truthfully. Now, I'm about to tell you something that you don't want to hear, and I know you don't want to hear it because I don't want to hear it. If your small group has agreed to get meet together at 7 o'clock and you show up at 7.30, that's a form of not speaking truthfully. 
You see, that's why we apologize when we're late. We're not apologizing for lateness. Lateness is not a sin in the Bible. You can't find it anywhere in the Bible. What we're apologizing for is lying. We said we'd be there at 7 and we didn't show up at 7. That's a lie. Likewise, if we agree together in our smaller community that we're going to do our reading assignments before we come and we don't do our reading assignments before we come, that's lying. And we apologize not for not doing our reading assignment because, again, there's no sin in the Bible that says you must do your reading assignment. What we're apologizing for is lying. We've not done what we said we were going to do, which is the definition of faithfulness. Now, I said you wouldn't want to hear it because I don't want to hear it either. Now, yes, of course, there are exceptions and extenuating circumstances and those kinds of things, but the point is, is that if you are the kind of person who does not do what you say you're going to do, that's a form of lying. On the other hand, when you are reliable, when you do what you say you're going to do, it creates community. Imagine a situation. Maybe you're here and you're a high school student. And a friend of yours has promised they're going to come watch your basketball game this evening. But in school that day, one of the teachers piles on an incredible amount of homework that's due the next day. And so you think to yourself, well, of course my friend won't come. She has all this homework that she needs to do. But yet, at your basketball game, she shows up. And you say, what are you doing here? Aren't you, aren't you working on that assignment? Imagine she says to you, but I told you I would be here. And so I'm here. Can you not feel the community that that creates? Can you not feel the relationship that reliability fosters? That's what we're saying is that when you speak truth, it creates relationship. This is why Psalm 15 says, who can dwell on God's holy hill? The person who does what they say they're going to do even when it hurts. And so Paul says, speak truthfully to one another. Be reliable. It also means, I think, not only be reliable, it also means be authentic. It has to do here with authenticity. We saw that in the video, didn't we? Sherman, I think, was his name. That's actually our Byron, our middle school pastor. He was not presenting himself as he really is. That's a lack of authenticity. That's a form of lying. But when we are open and honest about the things that are going on in our life, when we speak truth about who we are and what we're experiencing, it creates community. Just, I guess, an hour ago now, we were downstairs in our prayer time, and we prayed together before the service with a group of people, and one of the faithful members of that group came in uh, this morning, and we asked her how it was going, and she opened up and shared a struggle that she had had last week, something that was going on in her life, and you could just feel it in the room, that sort of authenticity, that sort of openness, that sort of transparency. You felt an immediate connection and a bond. That's what happens. When we see somebody and we ask them, how's it going? And they say, fine, but it's not fine. When they've just been diagnosed with cancer, they've just gone through, that destroys community. 
But when somebody's willing to say, you know what, this is who I am, this is what I'm going through, this is where I'm at, don't you feel a connection to them? Don't you feel drawn to that kind of person? That's what Paul is saying, is that when we speak truthfully to one another, when we're authentic, we don't pretend to be something that we're not. We don't cover up the struggles that we have. Now, again, we're talking about this in the context of a smaller community. We're not saying that everybody you meet on the street, you have to automatically open up and share everything going on in your life. But the idea is is that in the midst of community that God has created, that if we're not authentic with each other, if we're not transparent, it destroys community. But if we're real and we share the successes as well as the failures, the struggles, then it creates community. Third thing that I think Paul has in mind when he says speak truthfully is being willing to correct each other in love. There is the sense in which one another as we journey together that we discern carefully areas in which we may be being led astray. And to speak truthfully is to be willing to gently correct each other in love. See, the verb that's used in chapter 4, verse 25, speak truthfully, that verb is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in the book of Galatians. And there Paul says, have I become your enemy by speaking truthfully to you? See, what he's done is he's discerned within the Galatians an error. They're headed down the wrong path. They're going down that legalism path. And he knows that he has to say something. And so he gently tries to correct them in love. That's a sign of speaking truthfully. I saw a quote recently that sort of summed up how it is that this creates relationships. A person said, Joe's a friend of mine, one of the best, the very best kind. He listens when I need it, and he tells me what I need to hear, whether it's what I want to hear or not. Usually not. You know a person like that? Not a person who's always telling you your faults, but somebody who genuinely loves you enough to correct you when you're wrong. Do you not feel a kinship with that person? At the end of the day, if you asked, who are the people you closest to? Are the people that are constantly flattering you? Or does it include those who are willing to speak the truth to you in love? Paul says, when we speak truthfully, it creates relationships with each other. And then finally, when he says speak truthfully, he's encouraging us to testify to the work that God is doing in our lives and in this world. That's the idea, speaking truthfully, testifying to what God is doing in our lives and in this world. This Wednesday, I went to lunch with a man from the church. And for an hour and a half, we sat at lunch, and he told me about the things that God was doing in his life in the midst of incredible struggles. I think he cried through most of it, and I had tears in my eyes for a good portion of it because he told the most amazing story in the midst of struggles and difficulties, the most amazing story of God's grace and power and love and how he had orchestrated all of these things. And at the end of that lunch, I felt closer to him. I felt, I gave him a hug. 
It's because there's something about when someone speaks the truth about God that draws you to them, and you feel this connection. That's what Paul's saying. Speaking truthfully creates community. And so his point is, is look, if we're going to start talking about relationships, if we're going to be successful in small groups, if you're going to have a successful marriage relationship, in parenting your kids, in friendships, whatever it might be, Paul says the place you have to start is in communication. You must put off falsehood. And you must speak truthfully to one another. He closes by saying, for we are all members of one body. This is the basis for why we speak to each other this way. John Chrysostom, who is one of the great leaders in the church from many, many years ago, said this in commenting on this passage. If the eye sees a serpent, does it lie to the foot? Or if the nose smells a deadly drug, Will it lie to the mouth? Or if the tongue tastes something bitter, will it lie to the stomach? And the answer is, of course not. Our bodies work because there is honest communication among the different parts of the body. Can you imagine a body where a hand lies to the mouth or where the brain lies to the foot? It can't survive. It can't work. And so Paul says, if you're going to have genuine community where God is experienced, the first and most important thing you must do is put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this encouragement We pray, Lord God, that whatever relationships we are engaged in, that what might be true of us is that we speak the truth to one another. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to get rid of all lying and gossiping and slander, that we might not try to manipulate one another. Lord God, that you would protect us from misrepresenting you, Help us to see that these are the things that destroy community. God, I pray for those here today who have done them and experienced the rift in community that they create. Lord, would you forgive us and help us to make amends for that. And I pray for each person here that we might be engaged in speaking the truth to one another, that we might be reliable and authentic, that we might correct each other in love and testify to what you're doing in our lives and in this world. God, we thank you for the glimpses of heaven that we get in these kinds of communal relationships as we speak the truth to one another. Lord, encourage us to do this ever more powerfully day after day. In Christ's name we pray, amen.